Welcome to You Might Hate This Book, where each episode one of us will recommend a book to the other. A book that we love that we suspect our co-host might hate. Well, hate is a strong word. How about falls outside of their traditional scope of interest. Fine, that's fair. A book they would never have chosen to read otherwise. We'll read the assigned book, then come back together to discuss. Did you love it? Or did you hate it? So you agree we might hate it. (sighs) Yeah, you might hate it. I'm Stephanie. And I'm Hannah. And you might hate this book. Hi. We're back. It's been a long time, not for the listeners, but for you and me. For, yeah, we were ahead and now we're not. Yeah. Uh, so last time we were together, we had a little epic. <laughs> oh, it was our first big recording glitch. It was so sad. It was so sad. We had almost an entire episode recorded and then Hannah's computer just shut down and we lost the whole thing and it was very sad. Yeah. It, um, was, it was sad. It was a bonus episode. Yeah. So. But that was a bummer. And then I caught strep throat, which was also a real bummer. Oh, yeah. My four-year-old calls that streak throat. Streak throat. (laughs) Um, I was unlistenable. Truly, to listen to me would have been torture. And I also couldn't talk very well. But on all my conference calls, uh, I had an alarming number of conference calls the week that I had strep. Oh, of course. Like, people wanted to hear from me way more than they ever want to hear from me. And I was like, hi, I'm Stephanie. They were like, hey, you good? I was like, no, I'm super sick, actually. <laughs> I'm not good. Thanks I'm for not asking. good, but thank you. <laughs> Do I sound good? I am now well, so thank you, listener, yes. for asking after my health. <laughs> we are all well. Uh, we have prayed over the computer. <laughs> Hopefully it cooperates. And um, we still have a little bit of time left on our giveaway. So if you have not entered the giveaway for a copy of Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow by Gabrielle Devin, uh, you still have a couple days to do that, I think. Yes. Mm -hmm. The end of April is approaching. Go to Apple Podcasts and leave us a rating and a review and just send us a receipt of your review. Yes. And also, as April is coming to a close and our push for more listeners is as well, um, we've reached out to some other bookish podcasts. We're making... F- I didn't come here to make friends. <laughs> but the we opposite. Are. We came here to make friends. <laughs> yeah. And we are <clears throat> making friends. Um, so we're going to be shouting out some of those podcasts that we've made friends with. Um, they've listened to us, given us shout outs, and we're doing the same for them. And a couple that we want to call out this week to you, um, one of them is My Sister's TBR. Which, as you can probably tell from the title, are two sisters. Two sisters. Yeah, talking about (laughs) what they're reading. Um, So they're super fun. They have a lot of great banter uh, back and forth. And they cover, unlike us, they cover a lot of books each episode. Um, So if you want more books, more books, capita, I don't know, (laughs) minute, um, they discuss what they're currently reading. And then at the end of each episode, they highlight what they call a featured read, where they go in depth and talk about spoilers. So they're a lot of fun. You can check them out. They have the cutest accent. They do. They're, <laughs> they're definitely not from the South like we are. <laughs> they probably go, oh, they have the cutest Southern accents. Well, we don't even, you're I, from Texas. People say, I'm from Indiana. I like. don't think either one of us do, but I also think that people who aren't from the South would probably think probably. that we do. People where we live don't think we do. Yeah. But 
Yeah, when you I should hear the other. When guy. I got to yeah, you should hear the this other. Is guy. what we're saying. When I got to Tennessee, people were like, "Are you from the north?" I was like, "I'm from Texas." But when I go to California, they're like, "Are you from the south?" I was like, "I'm from Texas." <laughs> Texas is its own thing. Why don't people understand? I'm from the Republic of Texas. <laughs> <laughs> So my sister's TBR. Check it out. Um, the other one is Perks of Being a Book Lover uh, podcast. They cover also a lot of books each episode and all things book related. Um, we shared a post on our Insta story about one of their recent episodes where they actually talked about a program that shares books with prisoners. Yeah. And they have like guests on and stuff. Yeah. So if you're interested in even more book podcasts, Go listen Can't to them. Can't get enough books, yes. And thank you to our new patron, Christina. Yes, she sent us the nicest message. Yeah, so hope you're listening. Hi. Yeah, hi, Christina. Thank you. Um, and don't forget, you can also support us on Patreon. Patreon.com slash hatethisbookpod. Yeah. There are even more cool stickers. I have several oh, new yes. sticker designs. One of our friends that works at the place in town that makes the stickers, She, we saw each other at a baby shower, and she told me, hey, I saw your stickers. Yeah, I really want to make one that says, um, my mother is a fish. Yes, I would <laughs> put that on everything I own. <laughs> I'm working on a my mother is a fish sticker. I, I have the above head and ears and the hypo yeah. one on my water bottle, and I just keep waiting for one of my students to ask me, why do you have a pill bottle sticker on your... And also, what does that sentence mean <laughs> yeah. at all? Yeah, and anyway. It's a good question, because one would not know. Oh, no. We would not have known without the footnotes. <laughs> so. I have a series of unimportant questions for you, and then one very important question for you. Ooh, changing it up. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. I'm, I'm ready. Okay. So, a couple of rapid-fire questions, just off the top. Off I'm, good, the top. I'm good at those. I don't want to overthink. Okay. Chocolate or vanilla? Chocolate. Cake or ice cream? Ice cream. Blue or green? Blue. Green. I like a combination of both. You know? I, your, your color's teal. That's yeah. why I made you pick. <laughs> green. I'm going to default to green. Okay. Bluey or bingo? Oh, bingo. <laughs> I knew that. Summer or winter? Winter. Okay. We live in the armpit of the South. It's so hot here. <laughs> Which brings me to my next question. Okay. Imagine yourself. It's a few months from now. You've been sweaty for three weeks. Just... Uh. How sweaty you are depends on how recently you took a shower, but you have been consistently sweaty for weeks. The mosquitoes are buzzing around you. Your children want to play outside for some ungodly reason, and they don't want to go indoors where the temperature can be regulated. Nope. You live in a, in a world where you can choose to either A, stay exactly the way you are right now, or B, be genetically modified to have built-in sunscreen that's foolproof and built-in bug repellent that is foolproof, but you can only eat grass for the rest of your life and you have to eat little poop pellets of your grass that you <laughs> recently digested. Um, I know this should be a hard question, but for me it's easy. Because <laughs> I would pick the, the, the latter. <laughs> I have often said... Uh, Sometimes I just wish I could take in my nutrients through a shake or a tube and be done with it. The, I don't like to cook. I mean, eating's fine, but... If you just had to not think about it anymore, like, this body eats grass. Yeah, and as a redhead, built-in sunscreen sounds Imagine excellent. your alabaster skin yes. in the burning Tennessee heat. What if you had built-in UV protection? Because I love sitting in the sun. Like, I am a sun person. I like to get up when the sun comes up. I am not productive when it is dark. But I can't sit but in the sun. But you have to sit under, like, a 20-foot hat. <laughs> and, like, lather the sun. You know. Yeah, so for me, that was easier than perhaps it should have been. Okay. Um, what about you? 
Oh man, see, I, it's I a think, hard question. I, I kind of think I would pick the latter too, though, and. I wondered if you wouldn't, though, because we just both like food, like we enjoy food. But I also hate cooking, and I've had food issues my entire life. I have right. thought often, if I could just plug myself in and have, like, the yep. fuel that I needed and just literally never have to think about this again, like, this body eats 24 yep. ounces of grass a day. The end. Goodbye. And like, I think a, I could thrive in that environment. And as a mother of two boys, the amount of times we have to stop to eat, I'm like, oh, I just yeah. want to get in my workflow. Our friend yeah. Lauren once mentioned how lunch annoys her. I feel the same. Yeah. <laughs> I'm in a flow. I want to keep I going. I mean, like, not having ice cream again would be a bummer. But, man, and the way mosquitoes get after me, they don't Ugh. touch Kyle. I will have dozens of bites, and they're big. They swell up really big. I think yeah. I might be allergic. Yeah. And they carry diseases. Okay, like, so maybe both of us would really be good crakers. We would be excellent crakers. <laughs> there are some other downsides. Maybe we can talk about There are about some things I didn't mention, those, um, but I just wanted to bring up grass yeah. food. Oh, I love and... that. Thank you. Thank you for that. Yeah. Uh, so this week's book is Margaret Atwood's Oryx and Crake. Yes. Um, I did not come up with that very random situation no, no. on my own. If you've read this book, you know, and you probably knew before we said it, very applicable to the topic at hand. Um, <laughs> so anyway, I guess I'll give a summary. Yeah. This is, before I give the summary, just a little context, this is another first in a series. Yes. I keep doing this to you. I mean, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> it's the first in um, what is called her Mad Adam trilogy. It's a dystopian trilogy because, you know, everybody's doing it. Yeah. Right. But she describes the genre as speculative fiction. Which I've always liked about her. Yeah, and adventure romance. Ad like rom I didn't see that Romance coming. in the sense of, like, the older sense of the word. Like, a quest. And uh, not, like, a love story. I was like, uh, no? <laughs> no, no. Like, Pericles and Shakespeare. Cool, cool. Anyway, so that's your setup. Here's your summary. Snowman believes he is the last human living in trees and keeping a watch over a humanoid species he calls Krakers. As his present day narrative unfolds, which is part survival story, part weird documentary of the Krakers and their budding culture, religion? <laughs> uh, Snowman reflects on the events that brought him to this state. In flashbacks, he tells the story of Jimmy and Glenn, normal bo boyhood friends who went to school together, played video games, and watched porn. <laughs> uh, but one of them would grow up into a modern-day mad scientist intent on playing God by creating his own more perfect human species, and who would intentionally bring about the end of what he believed to be Earth's greatest threat, humans. Yep. So, there's your setup. That's what happened. <laughs> I know, I don't know what to predict, because I know you did not want to read this book. Yeah. <laughs> um... And it is kind of hard to get into with the voice. I'm hoping that once you got into it, you maybe enjoyed it a little bit. I'm going to be optimistic and say three stars. I gave it to a four and a half. Woo! Yeah. No, that is That's my strongest. highest rating. I'm so excited. Okay. I really liked this book. Yay! Which... I am startled by, because I was like, I promise you I will hate this book. Oh, you did not want to start it. I know. Because, on your recommendation, eight years ago, I sure. listened to the audiobook. Oh. And I wanted to harm myself. Like, <laughs> yeah. I hated it so much. I don't even know that I finished it. I know I got to a certain point, and I was like, I hate this story. I'm so bored. 
And it was one of those books. The thing about audiobooks, mm-hmm. you almost always split your attention because yes. in, unless you're literally just sitting on your couch, not doing anything and just listening to a book, which like that's at that point, I'm going to read a physical book. Yeah. I save my audiobooks for the shower and the car. Yeah. So you're pretty much automatically splitting your attention. And I remember working at my desk at home. So I know I was doing something else. I don't. I don't know why exactly, but I hated it. But I couldn't tell you a single thing about this book except that there was some really weird porn stuff in it. (laughs) That is all I remembered. So when I saw it on your list, I was like, I don't think I've technically read it because I don't even know that I finished it. And I couldn't tell you a single thing except maybe there's something about pigs and something about porn. Okay. That's both are accurate. Yeah. And so I here we are was pretty sure I was not going to like it. Um, I think that's fair. Some books do not lend themselves to audio. No. And so I knew I definitely should not listen to it a second time. And luckily you had a copy and you gave me a copy. So I have much better understanding now than I did eight years ago of what I like to read and why I like to read it and what situation I should put myself in to read it. Sure. So I was much, I was more fertile ground for this. Nice. (laughs) For this book to go in. The soil fell, or the seed fell on good soil. Yes. Cool. So this book starts with a survival story, which I like. I like a survival story. So Snowman has to hunt down water and food. He has to sleep in a tree for his safety because there's, like, predators. He can't be exposed to the sun for too long. We're dropped into this survival narrative, not knowing how he got there or how long he's been in this exact situation. Or why he's Snowman. Yeah. Um, And there was a lot of world-specific terminology immediately, just right off the bat, letting us know that we're in an altered reality. Yeah. Yeah. And so immediately we are in a survival story with a mystery edge, which I liked. I thought this established suspense really well. I don't like when something drags you along and doesn't give you information, but this did a really good job of like, you don't know what's happening. Here's a little piece. Here's a little piece. Those flashbacks. Here's a little piece. Right. And so like, I obviously wanted to know what led up to him being wrapped in a sheet and stuck in a tree. <laughs> yeah, he is literally in a sheet. It's... He's wrapped in a bed sheet like a toga yep. and calling himself Snowman. And you're like, is he high? Drinking bourbon in a tree. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. Which, I mean, might not be a bad day if you're not, like, the only person on Earth. Yeah. So I wanted to know, why is he here? What are Krakers? What do these other world-specific terms mean? Because it's stuff where you're like, I kind of feel like I know what that might be, but I also don't think I know what you're talking about. Yeah. And I wanted to know who Oryx was, who seems to speak to Snowman in his mind. It's this female character who we know Snowman once knew, but we don't know who that is. She's very mysterious. We just kind of hear this voice in his head sometimes. And you're not even really sure, I don't think at first, like, is she, did is he make her real? up? Or yeah. was she a real person? Because we find out Crake was a real person. Yeah. He made the Krakers. But yeah. what about Oryx? So I decided early on that I really liked Snowman slash Jimmy's voice. Yes. <laughs> um, he has a very bitter sense of humor. Oh, yes. And his internal dialogue is very funny. I love a bitter sense of humor. Mm-hmm. I, I relate to that. I read somewhere where this book was called a fun-filled, joke-packed adventure novel about the possible downfall of the human race. And I was like, oh, that's a... Yeah, I have a little <laughs> bit of notes about the black humor of it all. Yeah. 
I took some passages that I just thought were oh, especially good. Please share. Um, also, first, I want to point out that in this book, this is written like the 90s or no, it early was, 2000s. Yes, it was published in 2003. Okay, so they're super high tech. Everything's on CD-ROMs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a little dated. But you also have a shirt that will tell you when you have an email. Yes. It was like, okay, we're dreaming big. We've got shirts that tell you when you have an email, but also we're still using CD-ROMs. And yep. Margaret, we came up with a watch that does that. Shirts seem like maybe a <laughs> seem weird. too much. It, it, the shirt feels like too much. But it's like Ray Bradbury. He got, she got clothes. Yeah. A shirt, something you wear. Um, yeah. I was just like, that is precious. CD-ROM. Uh, Margaret Atwood is precious. <laughs> so one, this passage is from a place where Crake, no, what am I saying? Yes, Crake. Okay, so he's in his mad scientist era. Yes. Um, and he's like, I'm going to solve all the world's problems. So I came up with this pill that's, <laughs> yes, the pill. That's automatic contraception, like permanent contraception, and it's an STD blocker, and it's a sex drive stimulator, so everyone wants to have sex with everyone all the time, but nobody has babies. And this eliminates love, which eliminates jealousy, which eliminates anger, which eliminates war, and so we're all fine all the time. There's no possessiveness, there's no... Nope, it's a magic Viagra pill. Yeah, everyone is just fine. And having sex all the time. With no repercussions. And he was like, it's an elegant concept. Yeah, it's called a... Are you going to tell us what it's called? I don't think I have the name in this passage. This is one of the things I love about this book is all the names she makes oh, up. Oh, I'm going to talk about the names. Yeah, and it's... I thought about it. It's going to be hard to convey on a podcast because when you say them yeah, out loud... they sound... They sound like normal words, but the way she spells them... So the pill is called Bliss Plus. B-L-Y-S-S-P-L-Y-S-S. Uh -huh. -S -S. So it's got that, like... Yeah, Fun little bliss pick. plus. Yeah. <laughs> so this is a quote from the book. It was an elegant concept, said Craig, though it still needed some tweaking. A couple of the test subjects had literally f***ed themselves to death. Several had assaulted old ladies and household pets, and there had been a few unfortunate cases of priapism and split dicks. <laughs> also, at first, the sexually transmitted disease protection mechanism had failed in a spectacular manner. One subject had grown a big genital wart all over her epidermis. Distressing to observe, but they'd taken care of that with lasers and exfoliation, at least to Temporarily. In short, there had been some errors. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, if you're trying to make the ultimate sex pill, there's going to be some hiccups. <laughs> he was like, in short, I mean, we needed more beta testing. It's like, I always use that quote from one of our past presidents as a, an example of passive voice in my classes to, like, you know, evade responsibility. Mistakes were made. <laughs> you know, mistakes. We don't know who made them. Were made, but they were they were there. Um, anyway, somehow they happened. Yeah, you know. Um, and then there's this passage: Jimmy slash Snowman. Right. These are the same person. Yeah, Jimmy is Snowman. Glenn is Crake. Jimmy, in his life before he is abandoned in this dystopian world. Works in marketing. Yes. Which is funny because I work in marketing. Yes, correct. Um, so. Everyone's a mad scientist coming with, with all these cool ways to make your life better. And then everyone else is just marketing those things to other people. Yes. And he's this wordsmith coming up with good ways to sell it to people. And he had this game where he tried to, like, make up words and, like, see how ridiculous he could make it before he, like, got in <laughs> trouble. Yeah. And so here's this passage. 
He should have been pleased by his success with these verbal fabrications, but instead he was depressed by it. The memos that came from above telling him he'd done a good job meant nothing to him because they'd been dictated by semi-literates. All they proved was that no one at a new you, A-N-O-O-Y-O-O, right. was capable of appreciating how clever he had been. He came to understand why serial killers sent helpful clues to the police. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> no one appreciates me. <laughs> You're just sending me these memos. Good job. Pat on the back. You don't understand my creative genius. I really liked that as a true crime yeah. fan. Mm -hmm. He talks about one of his ex-girlfriends, Amanda. Yes, Amanda. Mm -hmm. She was an image person, not a word person. She said she claimed to think in pictures. That was fine with Jimmy because a bit of synesthesia never went amiss. <laughs> Uh, a bit of synesthesia never went to miss is one of my new great, favorite things. It's a great quote. And did you know that I have spatial synesthesia? No? Yeah. Okay, explain this. Okay, so... Explain synesthesia. I have trouble saying I it. will try to explain synesthesia to the best of my knowledge. Um, it's when you experience a certain sense with a crossover. So, like, yes. um, if you... Uh, hear colors. Right. So, like, like, if someone plays a musical tone, you see blue. Or, like, you can see people's speech. Or, like... Isn't it, like, you can associate, like, numbers with colors? Yeah. Or, yeah. So, it's when things cross over in your senses. Like, I think... That Con smells yellow. Yeah, that smells yellow. Right. Uh, Kanye West has said that he can, like, see colors sure. in music. Like, hear colors in music. Um... So there's spatial synesthesia, which you interpret time in relation in a spatial way, oh, and I didn't like on a timeline almost. Yes, but almost all people see it in this weird lopsided oval thing. Okay. If you Google it, uh, spatial synesthesia, lots of the the graphs will be this weird lopsided oval. I had no idea that this is not how everyone thought of the calendar, like the calendar oh. year. And I was referencing previous months and I was pointing to them where they where they are. And someone was like, you mean on a calendar? No, no. <laughs> where, in, where okay. they are in the air, in the space that they are. And I was like, you know, January 14th. And they were like, what are you... <laughs> I am You're not... using your hands to reference, but I don't know what you're referencing. I was like, you, you know how... Uh, what, what do you see when you picture the calendar? I picture little boxes on my bulletin board. <laughs> I drew this out for somebody because it is bananas. Once I thought about it, I was like, this is actually really strange. It, like, the different months turn for me. And so, like, January, the first start... This podcast is terrible. Um, <laughs> yeah, she, she's pointing. And, and I'm just looking interested and so puzzled. So, January builds up. So, like... January first okay. is in the bottom right corner, and then it moves, moves left and builds up. That's, okay, that's how it goes. So I'm and gonna then, Google this later. Okay, and then February turns sideways, and so one is in the top right corner, and it goes down by weeks. But then March is a straight line, and so it goes like this, and then April goes like this, and then uh, so February is wavy. Yeah, March is straight. May, April June, this. July. And August are just stacked like regular calendar blocks right here. But then August connects to September and September comes out of the right of August. And 
Uh, yeah. I mean, I see the motions you're making with your hand, and I believe this is how you think of them. It is a foreign concept to me. I Pretty cool. When I learned the Months of the Year song in kindergarten, oh. this is how I pictured it, and I have thought since that day. And, like, that's one of the things about synesthesia. It's just so natural to you. Like, you learn the letter A, and it's purple. Duh. Wow. And so, I don't think I have it in any way. I learned the months, and this circle formed, and that has been my year circle. I mean, And I took this test, fair. and I have other things that are less obvious than the year, but I took a test. It was like, yeah, you definitely have spatial synesthesia. That's cool. I really just, like, a little bit of synesthesia, never I'm, want to miss. I'm not spatially inclined at all. Like, my husband builds sets for theater spaces, and he'll try to describe it to me, and I'm like buddy, you gotta draw me a picture because I don't know. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't drive about. at night because I don't have good depth perception. I'll be the first to admit it. So, yeah. I just... I I can appreciate it. Yeah. I'm definitely Googling this later. Yeah. <laughs> Google spatial synesthesia and other kinds of synesthesia, but that just really made me chuckle. Yeah. Oh, yeah. A little bit of synesthesia. A little bit never of synesthesia. He also, uh, Jimmy, this wordsmith, likes to look up, like, self-help books and oh, yes, I remember memorize their really ridiculous titles, and then he would, like, mm -hmm. quote them to his his friends at lunch, and his, that was his little comedy routine. And he said that he would make them up and see if anyone could tell if he'd made them up. So he made up one called Healing Diverticulitis Through Chanting and Prayer, and nobody could spot it. <laughs> <laughs> that, I mean... <laughs> Um, and there's an invention called rockulators, which regulate the temperature. Yes. Rocks, like, absorb water and then release it to regulate the temperature of the yes. air. And they want to have the Moses model for a dependable supply of drinking water. <laughs> Just hit it with a rod, was the proposed slogan. <laughs> I love a good biblical joke. Oh, yeah. Margaret Atwood's good with those. So, yeah, I thought, I thought it was really funny in some places. The language is clever. And mm -hmm. then so many survival books are... You know, I'm fighting for my life. Here I am with my knife and my hatchet, and I'm going to build a thing so that I can have fresh water and blah, blah, blah. This was really realistic. If you're stranded in a place where you can't go on the ground because there's predators and you can't go outside because there's too much sun and the bugs are getting you and you don't have any clothes, you actually just spend a lot of time lying around and yep. masturbating. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like... This is probably what survival is it's, more like. On day seven, you're just like, what if I took a nap and just daydreamed yeah. for a while? So I really liked that. He was like, I mean, I look for food when I need food. Other than that, I sleep. He also has the benefit of these humanoid creatures that yeah. come and bring him things. And mostly he would sit around and be angry about the circumstances which led up to this moment, which is how we learn about the circumstances which led up to this moment. Because mm -hmm. he he remembers these parts of his life that start yes. in his like early adolescence when he meets his friend Craig. And he talks about their relationship developing up until adulthood when Craig goes full mad scientist. Yeah. Should we explain why he's called Craig? Uh, yeah. I'm not going to get to that in my notes. So, yeah. When I was yeah. Saying. He, um, so the title Oryx and Craig is for <clears throat> Snowman's friend Glenn and um, this mysterious female figure Oryx. But they used to play this online game. which A stinkathon. Yes. Another name that I loved. But it reminds me of like Fortnite. Like yeah. all the kids were playing it. All the kids are playing Extinctathon and you had to pick a name of an animal that is extinct. I don't think you knew this before the book, but like an Oryx and a Crake are both animals. I know. Yeah, I <laughs> knew that now. <laughs> yeah. An Oryx, um, I don't know if you told it's me like this. It's like a weird gazelle thing, right? Yeah, and I don't know, maybe... Brandon told me this. They only exist in zoos now. 
Like, really? They do still exist, but only in zoos. I did not know that. Um, crakes are a bird, so I don't know if they're actually extinct or not. Maybe I should have looked that up. And then <laughs> snowman, obviously, is for the abominable snowman, which <laughs> technically is extinct because it was never there. <laughs> um, but we already know Jimmy's pretty humorous. So. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that's why Crake is now called yeah. Crake. With Jimmy's little flashbacks to his previous life, we learn about what kind of world we're in. Yes. The world we're in is post-apocalyptic due to climate change. Yes. Um, New York and Florida are underwater. Texas, quote-unquote, blew away. <laughs> um, I would love to see that. Just yeah. like a giant tumbleweed into the Pacific. Um, there's essentially no meat or dairy. They eat cheese food. <laughs> yep. yep. They call it cheese food and soy everything. Um, this world is highly technological, minus the CD-ROMs. <laughs> um, Jimmy grew up on, like, a science compound where all the smart people were, mod like, genetically modifying pigs to grow multiple human organs. The pigoons! Pigoons! Yep. So that they could do transplants without using losing human life or this weird pig life, because it's growing eight livers. Just take one. It still has seven. Yep, the pigoons. Um... This world we're in is also morally and ethically bankrupt slash desensitized. Yep. Jimmy and Crake watch child pornography, assisted suicides, and live government executions like they are watching reruns of Seinfeld. Yep. That's their YouTube. It's very disturbing. And like I said, this is the only thing I remembered from the book previously yeah. was weird porn stuff. And I don't think she goes into a lot of graphic detail about no. it. No. But she tells you what it is. And it, yeah. that's disturbing enough. So if you were thinking about reading it, just... So yeah, you know. and like, if this had been a male writer, yeah. it really would have bothered me. And if this had been any kind of other writer, like, this is what Margaret Atwood does, is uh, speculative fiction, this dystopian world, like, I've read Handmaid's Tale. Right. I know, I understood what she was trying to do. But it was still very difficult to have her tell me about an eight-year-old. Yes. I, I didn't Being love... Being sex trafficked. I yeah. didn't love that. No, I did not either. Um, and Jimmy's relationship to her was very bothersome, which I, th I think it's supposed to be, which is why yes. I don't get upset about it. So let's talk about Jimmy and Oryx. Jimmy sees Oryx for the first time while watching child pornography and prints out a screenshot of this naked eight-year-old performing sex acts on a grown man while she's being sex trafficked. And he keeps it forever because he likes her and yep. thinks she's pretty and he folds it up and keeps it in his room until he's a grown adult. And, and he's not much older than she is at this no, point No, he's either. like seven years older than her. Yeah, so... He's still... like 16. Oh, okay. That's older than I remember. Maybe 14. Still not fully formed, I felt like, too. So he's obviously, like, his mind's been warped by the things he's seen at an early yeah. age. Yeah, he was, like, 14. Yeah. Um, but he does keep it and yeah. for, for forever. Um, and we know from the tidbits we're getting about Snowman's present that he meets this person later in life. We yes. do eventually learn that he will meet the physical person, Oryx, when she is grown up. And... I was really hoping when I met her, I was like, I hope you're not trying to make this into like a love story because this yeah. is not a love story. By the end of the book, I knew it was not ever supposed to be that. He seems really bothered by what this man may or may not have done to her, but also he watched it and printed it out. Right. And I was like, hey, Jimmy, do you know why sex traffickers have work? <laughs> because yeah. people watch it. Um And the way Oryx talks about her own life is very disturbing. Yes. I mean, she's obviously a product of trauma. <laughs> yes, yes, very um, much. 
yeah, her speech pattern even was, she was very just accommodating. Yes. Always just, like, the little people pleaser, which of course... She doesn't know how to say no. Yeah, which of course you would be if you were stolen as a child and that's what you had to do. So, yeah, um, if it had been anyone other than Atwood, I would have been pretty upset about that. Mm -hmm. I feel like the point she was making was that when... Everything goes to hell. The things that people still want to pay for are beauty and sex. Because all of these weird companies, we'll talk about some of the names. Rejuvenescence. They're all to, like, grow a new skin so that you don't have saggy skin. They're to, like, change your everything. Change your eye color, your hair hair color, your size, your whatever. Things to, like, there was this little passage was, like, things to make you fatter, skinnier, browner, whiter, bigger, taller, whatever, like, yeah. Anything. All the adjectives. Just throw we them in. can make it for one small payment. You could be like this. Yep. Um, so the when everything is shot to hell, the things people still pay for are beauty and sex. And I was just like, Ugh. Can I throw in a quote for you? That mm-hmm. like is along with that. Some of the reviews I read, I read one in the New York Times, um, and it talks about this like preoccupation that this world has that she's has basically this cautionary tale of like a world that is I'm going to quote this now, has a preoccupation with bioengineering, cloning, tissue regeneration, and agricultural hybrids, and she strikes a note of warning as unambiguous as Mary Shelley's in Frankenstein. (laughs) It's it's very clear, like, these things are bad. (laughs) This is bad. And it just kind of struck me, like, um, sex work is called, like, the oldest profession. Yeah. From the beginning of people to the end of people, she seemed to be saying, like, from start to finish, the thing that people will be trying to do is please men sexually, usually through the objectification of women and children. Mm-hmm. And that just, you know, that is a statement about society. That's a statement. But Margaret Atwood was obviously doing satire and making a very clear yes. statement about the state of the world. There's this quote um, from Terry Eagleton. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Alternative universes, as Terry Eagleton recently observed, are really devices for embarrassing the present, as imaginary cultures are used to estrange and unsettle our own. In Atwood's novel, the near-future world of the text is always to be seen in relation to present concerns. Quite simply, despite its near-future setting, the novel is a commentary on the historical circumstances of its origin. The reasons given in the novel for the deterioration of our world to the pre-apocalyptic setting are almost always connected to the all-pervasive commercialization vividly represented by the ubiquitous and often absurd brand names coined um, before the pandemic struck. And so basically, like, anything calling a near-future apocalyptic is saying your present is the problem right calling attention to the problems we have it irl now yeah um to avoid something such as this and her her big the brand names seems to be Uh, about the evils of commercialism consumerism um, and, and the objectification of beauty products yes we've got a new you rejuvenescence In an interview, Atwood said, It is perhaps dawning on them that a world containing nothing but money will render money useless, as there will no longer be any food, fresh water, or oxygen left to buy with (laughs) through hard cash. (laughs) Right. Um, And by the way, you can't eat Bitcoin. (laughs) (laughs) I got into, I wanted to list all the brand names in the book because they're so weird. And by Googling that, I stumbled upon this uh, thesis paper 
Oh! Written by Marionette Grimbeek of Karlstad University in Sweden. And this paper is called The Wholesale Apocalypse, Brand Names in Margaret Atwood's Oryx and Crake. You went um, deep. I did. Okay. Um, I read, I'm like, a bunch it. of this paper. So... Marionette Grimbeek is writing her PhD dissertation on Margaret Atwood's recent post-apocalyptic writing, and her research interests include the names used in literary representations of utopia, which is very specific, and I'm here for it. I am, too. So I read a bunch of her paper. All of the brand names are meant to be ridiculous. Oh, yeah. They, like, sound silly and banal and cheery and nasty. And they all do, like, the cutesy spellings. Yeah, like, like vitamin shoppy, but on steroids. Yeah. So a security organization that will, like, it's Hitman, basically, is called Corpse Corpse. <laughs> yep, I remember that. Corpse Corpse. C-O-R-P-S-E, C-O-R-P-S, mm-hmm. Corpse Corps. And these malevolent biotech companies are called Organic. Organ, I-N-C, Organ Inc., but yep. organic organs, homegrown. Yeah. <laughs> homegrown organs. Organic. <laughs> Get them in your backyard. Healthwiser, spelled yes. H-E-L-T-H-W-Y-Z-E-R, and they do, like, vaccines and stuff yep. like that. Rejuvenescence with a J-O-O-V-E-N, and then a new U, A-N-O-O-Y-O-O. All of them are like this, where it's like, to look at it is so silly, but also they're yeah. so malevolent, and yeah. And then you have just, like, the, like, common nouns she makes up, like, the pagoons. Yeah. And the one that always struck me, that I always remember, whenever I think of this book, I was just like, oh, chicky knobs. Chicky knobs! (laughs) Uh, Oh, my goodness. It's so gross. It's so gross. The way they're described. So this is chicken. It's basically, like, their version of chicken nuggets. Yeah, but, like, how do you have a chicken, but you only want the chicken breast to make chicken nuggets? And a chicken only has two, but what if it had eight? So it's just like a chicken body with no head because we took out the brain, basically. Yep. Like, we took out every brain function that doesn't make it grow. Ugh. And it's just like little arms with chicken breasts attached, and it's called Chicky Nubs. Chicky Nubs. Uh, <laughs> and get your bucket of Chicky Nubs. Jimmy talks about, like, eventually they open up a fast food chain and he got, like, a bucket of nubbins. <laughs> He's like, I got my bucket of nubbins to bring home. And, and they're just all like, this is normal. This is our oh, life. I could not eat a bucket of nubbins. I really couldn't. I uh, I don't know. So I could put this in my own words, but I don't want to like act like I came up with this idea on my own. And this is from this very intelligent person's paper that they spent the time reading. So I want to make sure and give her credit. Oh, yeah. She said this. Although the naming practices used in the novel are familiar, there are often jarring disparities between their connotations and their denotations. Christopher Palmer describes the coinages in the novel variously as banal, cheery, silly, and nasty. Invented names referred to the internet are case in point. The vices of the pre-apocalyptic world are reflected in the names of the websites visited by the characters. Pornographic sites, for example, are named Tart of the Day and Hot Tots. There are also animal snuff sites like Felicia's Frog Squash, as well as broadcasts of mutilations, assisted suicides, and executions transmitted on websites named Heads Off, H-E-D-S-O-F-F, Nighty Night, N-I-T-E, N-I-T-E, and ShortCircuit.com, and Brain Fizz. These hyperbolic names criticize the banality of the practices they denote and are part of the novel's larger satire polemic against cultural decline. It's like we're reading about how this world has normalized child porn, but it's making it like 
so banal by calling it hot tots with two uh, I, that, that's awful. I know. I like it. Uh. I, I, blah, 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 blah. yes. And watching public executions with like a quippy yeah. name. Uh. Brain fizz? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh. So that was very disturbing to yeah. read. But that's her point. Yeah. I think, that she's making. And writers write about what worries them. And this is what is worrying her right now. And it's not a question of inventions, because all human inventions are merely tools, but what might be done with them? Where is the line? What should we... Just because you can, should you? Oh. Like chicky nubs. I don't think we should. But more importantly, crakers. Should we? Oh. Because crake, you yeah. know, wants to solve the problems of war and famine and whatever. So he makes this new race of people who are... Genetically engineered to not have the same problems we have. Yeah, they're genetically engineered where, like, they only need to eat something that's, like, abundant and doesn't, like, cost anything. And, well, they're made... They, 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 like, mate seasonally, like, animals, so they just, like, go into heat and... Yeah, like, they're, they're, their stomachs turn blue yeah, or something Yeah, like a baboon. They're ready to mate and... Yeah. And they don't have religion, and they don't have art, because the parts of the brain that do that have just been, like, turned off, basically. Yeah. And it brings up the question, at what point are you no longer human? Because yes. humans are obviously yes. animals, in a sense, but the difference between us and any other animal is that we give life meaning. Right. We, we make meaning of things. And from as long as we have records of human history, people have come up with religion, because yes. that is what... We seem to be unable to avoid it. There's a thousands of religions, but no matter what we do, we can't stop ourselves from coming up with meaning. And if you take that away from us, we really are just, I mean, I might as well be a lion. I might as well be a monkey. Because mm -hmm. that seems to be the only thing that we are instead of mm -hmm. them is that we're capable of love and, well, animals are capable of love and empathy. But that, Not on the same level. Yeah, yeah. but that we have this higher meaning or feel like we have this higher meaning and so in an attempt to solve very real human problems when have you gone to the point where now we're no longer human because i would love to for there not to be famine and war and like if we could solve that problem great right do we solve it at the expense of art no longer exists right and, and the, you know, the twist at the end of the book, because we're not worried about spoilers, is <clears throat> while Craig has created this, what he believes is the perfect race, and created this pill that's supposed to, like, cure us of our problems, mm -hmm. what the pill actually does that he doesn't tell anybody is uh, it's going to kill everybody. <laughs> yeah. So he's created this this new kind of person, Krakers, gives everyone this pill, and all the regular people just die. Yep. It's a full-blown crazy pandemic. Which, by the way, the way he kills them is very mean. Couldn't it have just oh, been like, yeah. it's not your heart worse. stops? No, it's like, upsetting. If you're so smart, just make it where like your heart just immediately stops. But instead he makes them like melt. <laughs> yes, and, it's, and he engineered it in such a way that he and Oryx and Snowman are all immune to it. Yeah. So they're going to survive, which see to me, like... That's one of the things I love about this novel is because we've got all these huge existential questions. But then, like, when you get down to it, it's just these three characters. Yeah. And, like, what they want and their relationship and I what I think a lot of things just come down to, which is power. 
Yeah. Because Crake still wants power. Like, he's created this race and killed everybody else, but he, in that doing that, has set himself up as God. And he still didn't say, I'm part of the problem by still needing regular food and still yes. craving whatever. He he didn't say, I'll kill myself off with them because no. I'm part of the problem. No, he didn't. He gets to live. And his best him friend. And his best friend and his girlfriend get to live. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, so you don't really think humans are the problem. You just don't like everybody else. He just like, wants to be the one in power. Yeah. And so some of the things that this book comes up with as technological advances are cool. Like famine-resistant crops. Oh, you know? right. Yeah, that'd Great. be nice. Great. And then it just asks us, you know, when do we stop? And this got me on... Like AI generated art oh, is a big thing yes. right now. I have multiple students doing research papers right now. Yeah, on and AI is it good? Is it bad? Where's the line? Blah blah blah. And I, my thought is, if we have the technology to make AI do human things, make it do the jobs that keep us in factories all day, so that those people can go home and make art. Let the people make art. Give us more time to make art by having AI do the stuff that keeps us from being able to quit our jobs and make music and, you know, get home early and paint. Like, leave the human stuff to the humans. Have AI put stickers on the thing. You know, like... Yeah. But as soon as you start to monetize something, and as soon as somebody has the power through that monetization... Yeah. Things go to crap. (laughs) So, I... Some parts of this book seemed ridiculous, but at the same time, they also seemed, like, on the horizon. You know? It's like, that's crazy, but also, could it happen, like, tomorrow? And so, a quote from Atwood is, The good news is that there is still time. The bad news is that we're running out of it. Be advised accordingly. (laughs) Um, Which I... Thanks, Margaret. Yeah. I really enjoyed the way this book made you think big questions. Definitely. What makes a human a human what is the morality and ethics of using science in certain ways? Who gets to be in charge? Who gets to decide? Um, and I, it was darkly funny. Like it, it was. It was. It had serious themes, but it was funny, and I wanted to keep going. I mean, I didn't like Jimmy as a character. I didn't no. like Craig as a character, and I didn't like Oryx as a character. I don't think you're supposed to. Yeah. Jimmy would have been the most likely to be likable, but pretty much the the kitty porn stuff. I mean, yeah. can't can't really like That's you pretty too gross. much after that. Um, but even without likable characters, I was very interested in... I liked the voice and I liked the world. Oh, cool. So, yeah, I mean, I read this as often as I could until I was finished. Uh, that's, I'm so glad you enjoyed it. And, like, I should have known when I picked a book by Margaret Atwood, like, let's go and get deep. Yeah. <laughs> but, I yeah. mean, I liked Handmaid's Tale. I just, I had this bad taste in my mouth from previously. Yeah. And I was just so sure I would not like this book. But I immediately looked up the second one. I was like, I know this is a series. What's, like, <gasps> Good. are there more? We're going to talk about that. Okay. Yeah. And that's why this book, I don't, I wouldn't recommend it as audio. Because it does just throw you into this world with all these weird words. And, and I, who is Snowman. All those brand names. I did, I heard oh, them. yeah. It doesn't translate. It does I did not catch a lot of the, the stuff. The silliness of the brand names, you don't get when you hear the words. Yeah. You have to look at them. Yeah. So. I it, almost spent the entire hour just talking. You are allowed to talk now. No, I'm so sorry. I love it. And you brought up some things, you know, that I don't have to now. Um, but yeah, I love, I love this series. I will say, uh, so I read all three of them, like, back in, I don't know, 2014. Um, so it's been, a, it's been a hot minute. 
But I read all three of them, I think the year that the third one came out. Okay. So I had all three of them to read because I remember at the time Brandon was working at Barnes and Noble and he got like an advanced galley copy of the third one, Mad Adam. So I was like, oh, well, and I'd been meaning to read them. So I was like, I'm just going to read all three. And I devoured them. They were great. Um, but interestingly, there's a big gap in between the books. I was going to say, when I looked up the sequel, it's not like following Jimmy's nope. story. It's no. Like... Um, Oryx and Craig was published in 2003. And then the sequel, Year of the Flood, it doesn't come until 2009. Mm -hmm. And that story actually runs concurrent to Oryx and Craig. Because Oryx and Craig ends on kind of a cliffhanger. Mm -hmm. Like, Snowman and the Craigers see somebody coming and they don't know who it is. And yeah. so there's this big question. This whole book, Snowman has thought, I'm the last person. And then it's like, maybe I'm not, question mark? Yeah. He's not. <laughs> um, but we don't pick up right there. We go... No, we go back to before the Bliss Plus pill. Um, Bliss Plus. Yeah, wise. I, I can't. So the Year of the Flood is actually my favorite of the three. Okay. Um, because I like the characters. Like yeah. you mentioned, Snowman, Jimmy, is not really likable. Um, but Toby and Ren, who are the females... Toby and Ren. Yeah, they're two females who are the voices of Year of the Flood. They are much more likable. And then another um, male voice that comes in and kind of runs the show for the third book, uh, Zeb. So Can I borrow the other two? Do you absolutely, have I have them and I will give them to you okay. happily. Um, but yeah, Year of the Flood starts before the, the pandemic hits. And it takes place in what's called the Pleblins. Yes. <laughs> um, because Jimmy and Glenn the whole time are living in these scientific compounds. Yeah, for the special smart people. They yeah. get to live in safe little compounds where there's enough food. It's basically the equivalent of suburbs. Yeah. You know, but there are people that live outside of the protection of these big science corporations. The Plebeians live out there. And so that's who our protagonists in Year of the Flood are. So you get to see what life was like outside of those compounds and more of the degenerate nature, unfortunately, of the world. Um, but you also get introduced to this religious cult called... God's, I love a cult! Yeah, God's Gardeners. Um, super fun. And their leader is Adam One, you mm. know? So, Mad Adam. That's the third book. Um, and I'm not going to say any more about it, but... I'm so interested to read these. That book basically leads you up to those people that are coming at the end of Orcs and Craig. Yeah. It gets you to that point again. Okay. And so both books kind of end at the same spot. And so then Mad Adam, the third one. Oh, that sounds so cool. Tells you the rest. Um, so they're really good. I, I like them. I recommend them. But yeah, there was quite a gap in between all of them. Because then Mad Adam was published in 2013. Yeah. So like five-ish years in between all of them. Oh, I got some stuff about Margaret Atwood. Like... I feel like she's the author we need to, like, explain the she's least. She's Canadian. <laughs> she, this lady is busy. Like, she works. Yeah. Uh, you know, like, Hamilton-style work. <laughs> uh, so she was born in Ottawa in 1939. Really? Girlfriend is 84 years old, and she's got another book coming out this year. Like, oh my goodness. I mean, I knew she was older. I didn't know... Like, she is... 39. She is working. She is She's older than my dad, which she, is old. She's older than my grandma. <laughs> <laughs> and I just love... Every time I see her face with her little, like, cherubic cheeks. I know. And know, her curly, curly hair. I know. And her, like, arched eyebrows. Like, she knows something you don't. She probably does. I think... Well, from reading <laughs> her books... She definitely does. She has her finger on the pulse of something. Um, so, according to her website... 
She has published more than 50 books of fiction, poetry, critical essays, graphic no novels. No particular number, just more than 50. You know, at some point you just stop. I mean, it doesn't matter anymore. <laughs> There's also a section on her website that are books about her, which has... <laughs> Over 20 sources listed on it. So Also among these books are the books about me. Yeah, I mean, if you have multiple books written about you, you you've made it. Um, some of the books that specifically are called out on her biography, so I feel like, oh, they must be important to her. Cat's Eye, which was 1989, the year I was born. Wow. <laughs> um, that was a Man Booker finalist. The Blind Assassin was her first Man Booker Prize winner in 2000. Alias Grace, um, the Mad Adam trilogy, and then Hagseed, which I also have and love. It's a retelling of Shakespeare's The Tempest. Okay. It's, it's a lot of fun. So she has degrees from University of Toronto, Radcliffe College. She's been a lecturer and a writer in residence at many different universities. Um, she was the president of the Writers' Union of Canada from 1981 to 82. She's the current vice president of the Penn International. And this was my favorite. She is the joint honorary president of the Rare Bird Society <laughs> for Bird Life International. Of course. She was like, I know about crakes. Let me join the Rare Bird yes. Society. Well, she's also very environmental. There is yeah, that's a, clear. another whole section of her website that you can click on. It's called The World of Mad Adam. Oh, and okay. it's just this big flip grid of just all these articles and things that she has curated about the environment. And you get into that in the second and third book with God's Gardeners. And obviously the people who are trying to work against this like corporate minded degenerative society are the ones that are trying to get back to nature. Yeah. So you get I mean, even Handmaid's Tale, we make it very about like religion and stuff, but it starts as a environmental. Yes. It's very much environmental as well. Yes. And that you see those themes. I'm not going to talk at length about the themes of this book in particular, but that's one of the things I loved about it was just all the symbolism. Um, like, it is essentially the same story that you get everywhere, including the Bible. It's like creation, decreation, recreation. Mm -hmm. It's just that the recreation goes horribly wrong <laughs> because <laughs> Crake was in charge of it. And, like, Snowman, Jimmy, is your everyman. He's, like, your Dante's pilgrim that's, like, descended into hell and helping you through all of this. Yeah. Um, I love the copy that I gave you uh, because it. now I think when you go to the bookstore and buy Orcs and Craig, it's this picture of this, like, woman's eyes yeah. or whatever. No. Mine has um, Hieronymus Bosch's Garden of Earthly Delights on it. Which, I knew it looked familiar. That's a painting that I love for its weirdness yeah, and grotesqueness. Of course. Um, you know, that kind of symbolism there. Um, and then Crake and Oryx, like I mentioned earlier, Crake is this, like, presents himself as this god figure. Mm -hmm. And he intentionally does not show himself to the Krakers when he creates them. He hires Oryx to go to them and teach them. Like so, a messiah. <laughs> yeah, she's so it's almost like Craig is, you know, God the Father and Oryx is God the Son, but then she's also a woman, so she's like this Mother Earth figure too, mm -hmm. and like all the feminine, um, you know, goddesses and religion. So there's like this crossover there. The people are the people of Craig, the children of Craig, but the animals are the children of Oryx. Yes, exactly. So she kind of blends that like Christian theology with nature, and it, it's all just like super cool and. It's, it's Margaret. Yeah. I sat and thought about this one for a while, too. I even came across in that same um, New York Times review. They talked about, like, how Fro um, how Crake kind of enacts this Freudian dyad of, like, Eros and Thanatos because he kills everybody with a sex pill. <laughs> it's like, 
your mother, kill your father, uh-huh. Oedipal thing. He kind of does both in the way he just kill everybody with a sex pill. Yeah, it's which is like darkly humorous and really sad and awful. At least before he killed everybody and made them just melt out of their bodies, they had tons and tons of I, sex. Yeah, it's disturbing. What a way to go out. Yeah, so, like, she just blends all this cool symbolism from religion and cultures that I always find fascinating, and I like when I can pick up patterns in my reading. So that's why I love it. It's also got this allegorical angle of, like, the abandonment of the mother. Mm -hmm. Because you mentioned, like, Jimmy's early fascination and almost, like, imprintation on Oryx. Yeah. But then, like, his mother also left him. Yeah. um, Which really affected him. And, like, that's clear to you, the reader, but I don't think it's clear to him, the character. Mm -hmm. And so he's searching for that, like, female connection. And then, of course, Oryx becomes this, like, Mother Earth Earth. goddess figure. And And their relationship is weird. I mean, he, he meets her... Meets her. He encounters her first when she's a child, meets her when she's grown and has a romantic relationship with her, but also treats her a little bit like a mom. Like, she she serves a bunch of very weird roles for him and for Craig. Yeah, and to me, it's like, because the society has degenerated so much and you've taken away the beauty of the mother and the female and you've objectified it to this state, like, that men are bereft and that's what he's searching for, just like we're searching to get back to mother nature. Mm -hmm. So there's just, like, all these connections. And, ah, I love it. Anyway. When you objectify women, you are bereft. That is what we can take away from this. absolutely. (laughs) Uh, I think... I think Margaret would get on board with it. I think she would. Come on the show, Margaret. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Have your people call my people. You know, the last thing I just want to mention, too, like, at the end of the day, it's this big thinker of a book, this big global, you know, crises. It's a pandemic, which is kind of depressing. Um, But but it's not, like, a government conspiracy at play that creates it. It's just the slow degeneration of a society, and then the ultimate thing that happens at the end was really just fueled by these three individuals and their warped lives. Like, it wasn't some, you know, big country over on the other side of the world going, we're going to release a pandemic. No, it was just one guy. One stupid guy. (laughs) One really smart, stupid guy. (laughs) Yeah. And their weird schoolboy love triangle crush on this girl and the fact that they don't have mothers. And, yeah. So... It's like these big grand things. I like how she boils it down to these really specific stories. Like she does a yeah. Handmaid's Tale too. You know, like we're just looking at Offred for this big society. So anyway, I regret that I ever doubted. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, who am I to doubt Margaret Atwood? I mean, it's I weird. Just, I understand why the audiobook really would not have worked. Um, it, it's and true. a lot of the stuff doesn't translate, and I I didn't quite understand what I was reading what, a decade ago. Mm-hmm. So I'm really glad that I gave it another chance. I'm glad and, too. And you uh, mentioned maybe changing the book, and I was like, I really want to see what it is though. Like even if I fully expected to hate it, I was like, I just want to see what's behind the cover. That's and fair. so I'm glad that I insisted. I'm and glad said, like, too. No, I'm gonna read this. I will give you the next I want to read the other one. Tonight. Because the second one's my favorite. I have to admit, I remember zero <laughs> about the third book. Like I didn't remember a lot of this one until I started reading summaries and I was like, oh yeah, oh yeah. And I remember a lot of the second one, but the I could not tell you what that third one was about. Well, I'm excited to read the second one. Uh, I mean, I think it was good. I think I enjoyed it. Yeah. I just read it really fast and was really busy. And yeah. Anyway, you got some one-star reviews. 
No. <laughs> okay. Well, we're not going to do any because we've already talked for an hour. I forgot entirely. That's okay. You know what? I have already looked up one-star reviews for our next book. And we're bringing back the Raspberry Jam. Okay. So. Man, I... I dropped the ball. I knew there had to be something. How many times have I forgotten to write a summary? <laughs> I mean, sure, but at least you can make it up. I, I'm going to make up some one-star reviews. <laughs> Should we just, in IRL, look at, in IRL? That's that's redundant. It's fine. We can just look up some. <laughs> what an utterly foolish book written from the perspective of an utterly boneheaded man about the plans of an utterly boneheaded man and the beautiful, kind, wise, former child prostitute who gets, like, five lines of dialogue. God, dystopia is boring. Well, thank you, Allison, <laughs> thank you, for Allison. that. Thank you, Allison. That was a pretty good one, I have to say. These people are too wordy. I mean, I think I knew that maybe they wouldn't be funny because this is a serious book, so people have, like, serious issues. Well, and I get, like, you know, some of this book is disturbing because mm -hmm. it's supposed to be. A lot of these people on Goodreads are just calling this like sloppy sci-fi, but it's yeah, not. It's not sci-fi. It's not. <sighs> you've misunderstood the book. Well, apparently, someone's Nana wrote a sci-fi novel. That's <laughs> that's a quote from Simone Ramon. Simone Ramon. <laughs> <laughs> oh, here's here's a this author is just not for me. I mean, I think that's self-aware. Victoria, it was just too convoluted and odd. Or weird. Or something. I couldn't get into it. <laughs> <laughs> Alright. Well, I think we I think we have a nice little... Abergochen! But that's in German. <laughs> yeah. I, that whole... I don't know German. Neither, neither do I. Uh... Okay, well, we read a couple. There so sorry go. for uh, for getting to do my job. Ah, that's okay. no, you did more than enough. I mean, you read uh, like somebody's thesis. Yeah, I, I read. <laughs> it was very interesting. I, I was like, I've never been so intrigued by a paper that I think is supposed to be boring. Like, <laughs> nah, literature's not boring. I got really into this paper, and I was like, okay, I'm. That's cool. Yeah, that's cool. that alone makes me happy, as well as your four point five star rating. Yeah, so I really need to hate a book soon, though. I we've liked too many. I know. We I really think you'll hate my next one. Okay, we're we're starting to break it. We really need I to know. hate some books soon. Okay. Well, next week. Okay, next week is the Four Winds by Kristen Hanna, and I love this author and I love this book, but I really need you to hate it a little bit because okay. I'll do my best. Okay. I've already read it, so I'm. Trying I know. To Don't say anything. Anything away. Tune in next week. <laughs> Thank you for listening to You Might Hate This Book. Join us again next week for more discussion of the books we love and the books we hate. You can help others find this podcast by leaving us a review and five-star rating. And don't forget to hit subscribe. You can offer additional support and earn cool perks by joining our Patreon at patreon.com slash hatethisbookpod. Special thanks to Montague Workshop. See you next week. Goof reads? No. Goof reads. Good reads. <laughs>